This episode's reading carries content warnings for discussion of COVID, self-harm, horror movie gore, and suicide and suicidal ideation. If you want to opt out of that, please skip forward 14 minutes from the start of the reading. Also, this episode contains quite a bit of strong language. Listener discretion is advised. essays that did or didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniecks. Listeners, I am thrilled to continue our summer of screams, our month of terror, with none other than horror author extraordinaire Laura Gislason. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, in, in case you're just hearing this as your first episode, know that uh, two weeks previous to this releasing, uh, I was talking to horror and erotica author Chuck Tingle about his brand new horror novel that is out right now, wherever fine books are sold, Camp Damascus. Uh, And I wanted to keep things up with none other, the goopiest, the greatest. Laura, welcome to the show again. <laughs> I I love that my name is always followed by Goop mm-hmm. wherever, wherever I go. Absolutely, I, I, it just makes me feel like I need to cut a wrestling promo for you. <laughs> I would love that. I I uh, I had a D and D character that was a a heel for a while. I love this for them and for you. <laughs> Thank you. Gosh, there. There should really be, like, a queer horror nerds podcast about wrestling. I wouldn't be the, the one to do it, but, like, if if Lillian wanted to do a new podcast, like, I would support her in doing that. Absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of crossover between all yeah. of these different subcultures. I mean, they're, they're all about bodies. Mm-hmm. They're all about bodies. Which leads us to your essay... My body, my body, and me. Uh, is there anything that we need to know before we get into the reading? Um, I wrote this for Hear a Scream, Volume 2, which is a diverse voices in horror anthology. And it is about my bout with COVID. So there is a little bit of talk of um, death, but nothing... Fair. Nothing too heavy, I think. Uh, And we will have, uh, listeners, you will have already heard content warnings. So if you need to skip out on that stuff and just get into the conversation, you'll know where to go. Oh, this is also my first reading, so I will just... You're going to do great. (laughs) Thank you. I can't look at you while I'm reading this. (laughs) This is called My Body, My Body, and Me. I've never felt particularly comfortable in my body. 
And while I'm doing okay these days, it took a long time to get to that place. Mm -hmm. Most of this can be attributed to gender and body dysphoria. But the rest I can only describe as a weak Wi-Fi signal between my brain and my limbs, similar to dissociation. Things like I'm the puppeteer, somewhere floating around my head, slightly removed from the action. Over the years, I've done various things to connect on a deeper level with my physical form. After all, I will be inhabiting this body until the day I die. So I might mm. as well feel at home in my own skin. I started giving myself tattoos to have 14. I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> after a girl in my home ec class showed me how to do this. Not long after that, I got my ears pierced and began the process of stretching my earlobes. These are positive forms of self-expression that just so happen to involve pain to get your results. <laughs> Not all of my habits were great. For years, I had a pretty bad self-harm addiction. It was a combination of terrible coping mechanisms and dependence on the feeling that I got after coming. My body is littered with scars, but they're a part of me. Around my mid-teens, I started visiting a hole-in-the-wall movie rental store. It was tucked into the corner of a U-shaped strip mall and barely visible from the street. I'm not sure what made me go in, honestly. I've never been a very adventurous person. It's something I felt comforting about the place. It was clearly unchanged from the day it opened in contrast to the brand new blockbuster across town. <laughs> sure, he had most of the new releases on DVD, but it also housed just as many VHS tapes. The owner was a quiet, but speckled man with a Beatles mop top who watched FIFA and practiced his trumpet with a mute because he was also very polite, it turns out. I'd stop by, rent a stack of tapes and chat with him for a half an hour or more. He was one of the first adults who spoke to me as an equal, and that meant a lot to me. The back corner of the shop was the main attraction. Horror. <laughs> I wasn't picky and would rent literally everything. American Psycho 2? Sure. Serial Killer 101? That sounds terrible. I'm going to do it. My ratio of hits to misses was fairly even. Then one night, I came home with Hellraiser. Hmm. Clyde Barker's directorial debut struck a chord with me, although its impact didn't truly sink in for years. The obvious combinations and blurring of pleasure and pain from both sides of the story and the disgusting, beautiful gore and themes of body autonomy. For those who haven't seen it, our opening scene shows Frank using the now iconic puzzle box known as the Lament Configuration to open a portal to the Cenobites realm, a group of demon-like entities covered in hooks and light flesh and leather, who immediately rip his body apart. This is essentially their job. We then cut to years later with Frank's brother Larry spilling blood on the floor where it sinks into the dried out husk of a heart trapped underneath. In a fantastic display of practical effects, Frank's skeleton rises up, cracking and splitting as it reforms into a human shape, organs mm. puffing up and sliding into their appropriate places. Covered in slime and screaming, he is reborn. This is still one of the most impressive sequences in a horror flick decades later, and it also indicted my love of goop. But I will get into that more later. <laughs> I also found it fascinating that Frank destroys himself on his quest to connect with his body, spending the rest of the film regaining control by killing others, including his own family, by, spoilers, wearing the skin of his brother Larry. His attempts to rejoin the human world 
his poor attempt to mimic the love that Larry gave freely was summarily rejected by his niece, Kirsty. The Cenobites return, taking Frank back to hell with them. Kirsty is traumatized, throws the box into a fire to get rid of it. But the box has other plans and soon finds the next pleasure seeker. It's an endless cycle. The film ends the way it began with a man purchasing the puzzle box. These images stayed with me, even when my life moved in a different direction after graduation. Mm -hmm. Saving money from my first job, I moved in with some friends. For a variety of reasons, this relationship collapsed catastrophically. Mm -hmm. I reached my lowest point and attempted suicide. I felt completely disconnected from myself and I wanted out. Looking back, I can remember at first a sense of calm. People often describe suicide impulse as an automatic reaction. Once you have made the decision to end your life, your body goes through the motions robotically. This was the case for me until my overdose really started to kick in and I became terrified of dying. I hallucinated mm. demons and spiders attacking me. After failing to vomit my medication, I cried until I passed out. Obviously, it didn't work. And I'm still here. It took me a while to open up about this to people, mostly due to shame. It's difficult to describe to people who haven't been in that dark place. There's a sense of failure that's hard to overcome. Mm. Years passed. I've been living with my partner in cats for over a decade. We've had our ups and downs, like every couple, but I'm very grateful for his patience and understanding. With therapy, time, and meds that worked for me, I reached a stable place, for the most part. <laughs> then the COVID pandemic began and things changed. I lost my job at a mental health association where I ran support groups for adults. It's funny that we definitely needed those classes more than ever, but even after an attempted switch to online sessions, we shut down. Hmm. I was suddenly very bored and like many others in need of distraction and entertainment. So I turned again to horror. After a few months of quarantine, I lamented to a friend, why aren't there articles talking about this or this aspect of it? She countered with the obvious, why don't you just write them yourself? <laughs> I sat on that. There was really nothing stopping me from trying. I'd often dreamed of being a writer as a kid, but in an imaginary way, like being a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> it was only for smart people who went to college and studied. What could I have to offer that others couldn't? A Neil Gaiman quote on Tumblr finally got me off my ass. The one thing that you have that no one else has is you. Your voice, your mind, your story, your vision. So write and draw and build and play and dance and live only as you can. I began rewatching my favorites and tackling them from a viewpoint I learned at work. Live experience. I am a autistic, non-binary, fat person. There's a few things right there. <laughs> I then started a blog and wrote a few articles, fired up emails to simple for websites if I want a new writer. I landed up an opportunity with Horror Obsessive, where I've been writing everything from news pieces to favorites lists to critical analysis of horror subgenres. With feedback from my editors, I improved and maybe for the first time in my life felt accomplished and out of as well. Mm. Everyone I spoke to in the horror community, especially queer horror, was incredibly welcoming and encouraging. 
maybe it was only a matter of time before I started penning fiction. I've often had weird dreams, results of my medication, I expect. And in the process of recording them, realized, I think I have something here. Hmm. I jokingly opened a new Google Doc titled Book, and I got to work <laughs> adding tidbits here and there. As I turned 30 and a new year started, I look forward to what the future brought me my little corner of the world. I remember the night we got COVID vividly. It had just passed midnight. The weather was getting warmer as April turned to May. I was watching the film Turkey Shoot. I got a text from my partner, which is unusual since they're not allowed phones in the field. Told me he was feeling off, and after taking a rapid test that came back positive, he had to come home immediately. I felt mm. my heart drop. There's no way I didn't have COVID too. He was practically the only person I interacted with. I was terrified. The news of people dying was constant with daily updates and stats that were difficult to avoid completely. Hmm. Things started to kick in after a few days, progressively getting worse from there. Sitting up was the most activity I could do. I would dream I was being stung all over by walk, which is basically what it felt like. Hmm. As the days went by, I ate less and less. Throughout this, I watched a lot of horror movies. Drifting in and out of a feverish haze, I took solace in the violence on the screen. Hmm. I love films with messy, weird gore, nonsensical plots. Seeing people consumed by the blob feels so visceral and tactile. I hmm. felt incapable of expressing myself and used the characters as a proxy. When Nicolas Cage goes on a rampage of vengeance and Mandy, I felt comforted. <laughs> We had done everything possible to be safe and yet weren't yet eligible for the vaccine. My partner knew exactly who got him sick. They were a self-professed anti-vaxxer, believing the virus was nothing more than a common cold. In Canada, the vaccine was rolled out by age groups and we didn't qualify yet. Our age bracket opened up the next week. Mm. If, if my blood hadn't already been boiling, it was now. After a particularly scary coughing fit, we called a nurse helpline, which in turn told us to call an ambulance. I had never done this before, and it was equally terrifying and embarrassing. A team of four entered our house in full hazmat scrubs, taking my vitals and asking me questions. The paramedic who listened to my heartbeat asked me how I felt, and I said, not great. <laughs> so at least my sense of humor was still alive. You could go to the hospital, they told us, but it might be better to stay home, unless it gets worse. That's up to you. I voted to stay. I didn't want to take out resources for people that needed them more, rationalize. Couldn't imagine mm. leaving my partner. If this was it, well, we'd be together at least. At this point, I had no fight left in me. It's a cliche, but when people see the end coming, they're comforted by the reality of it. In contrast to how terrified I had been during my suicide attempt, I now felt relieved. It'd soon be over. I've always thought when I go, I think I'd like a natural burial or have my ashes used as fertilizer. In some way, I wanted to rejoin the earth to have my body be of some use. I thought about my two cats. They would definitely eat us after we died. And you know what? I was okay with that. I only harbored two regrets. I wouldn't get to see the new Dune movie, and I would never finish that weird story. Mm. And just like that, 
it was gone. Slamming on the brakes, we had finally come to a stop after what felt like forever. Breathing became easier. It took months to get back to a semblance of normality, but we managed. I'd lost over 30 pounds in half a month. It took over a year to gain that back. I learned that I needed to be gentler on myself, both physically and mentally. I learned to rest. I learned to enjoy naps. Hmm. I started to listen to my body and respond to what it wants and needs. It's not easy, but it's extremely rewarding. That's not to say my depersonalization is completely wrong. Still have days where I feel disconnected and out of sorts. Watching horror actually helps me get back into my head in a way. Focusing on characters dealing with a crisis helps me in a sort of bizarre grounding technique. Hmm. Like Sally in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre laughing after she escapes Leatherface. Doesn't know what comes next, and neither do I. Like the final girl stereotype, I am a survivor. Hmm. With renewed vigor, I set out to accomplish one of my goals. To finish my story, which I titled Inside Out. I pushed myself, reasoning I needed to make up for lost time. What started as a recollection of my dreams involving a man melting that I played <laughs> around with quickly turned into an outlet for expressing my trauma. I wrote about terrible people getting their comeuppance, about mishandled responses to a pandemic, tributes to my favorite goopy films. <laughs> so here I am over a year later, and I can hardly believe it. My little story is becoming a book. I don't think it'll sink in until I'm holding it in my hands. <laughs> These last few years have been so difficult for all of us, but I'm grateful to still be here and for the people who have helped me along the way. Or really has saved my life. Mm. Oh, Laura, I'm crying. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, that was so... That was very good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it reminded me of... of watching Hellraiser and House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects with my one trans friend from high school. Aww. Yeah. I don't know if you're listening, Serena, but I think about you a lot. Oh, hi, make Serena. Sure you know. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Oh, that was so good. And it made me think of like, you know, the 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 goopiness is really comforting in some ways. I I have a hard time explaining to people like why why do you like goopy stuff? I'm like I don't I don't know. I like maybe it is comforting in a way. It's, I mean, we were we were talking about this with Foz Meadows last month that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is, uh, very much, uh, like horror can be an escape and, uh, especially that horror can be really cathartic for anybody with a body, but especially like people who are fat people who have disabilities people who are trans like there's i i've been stressed so stressed out for the past two weeks that my arms started itching constantly and like 
that's terrible. That's yeah. awful. But, like, while you were reading this, I started thinking about... Have you seen... Uh, uh, it was released as Zombie 2 in Italy and Zombie in the U.S.? Yes, I have. Yeah. So you know the eyeball scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started thinking about that and, like, I don't know. That's a gross thing that happens. Like, Absolutely. Really, really good practical effects. Absolutely disgusting. But, like, kind of comforting. I don't they, know. It's not they, happening to me. No, and they telegraph it very, very clearly that it is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like... I, I, I watched, the first time I watched that movie, I was like, my, my friend was like, this has got amazing eyeball violence in it. And I was like, oh, I see when this is about to happen. I am going to cover my eyes. That's a uh, Fulci, right? Yeah. He's, he, that's like his thing. I feel like a lot of his movies have weird eyeball stuff in them. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if there's a reason for that. I never looked into it. I don't know. That's a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask Lillian about that after <laughs> this. <laughs> She'll know. I would. Yeah, I would love to know because it. It seems like a common theme in his movies. Yeah. Um. So I. I would love to. Uh, dig in a little bit more about. Uh, about the goop and about how. Uh, like, how you interact with the goop? Um, well, I there's a, there's a lot of differences between interacting with goop IRL and, and through uh, horror, I think. But mm -hmm. I mean, it, like in the in the real world, it is fun to play around with with stuff just in yeah, and that like very visceral I am I am touching a thing way. Um, mm -hmm. We get these monthly meal packages, and sometimes they come packed in uh, what is basically corn. Oh, uh -huh. it's yeah, it's just like a cushioning, and you're supposed to just like um, dissolve it in your sink. And I'm always like, I just want to because like, <laughs> it, it feels so so interesting, or like uh, a paint roller, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's some there's something about it that's very physical and that you can't get with other things. And I guess in horror, there's a lot of things that you cannot do in real life mm -hmm. uh, that I seem to have gravitated towards watching and writing about. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I'm, Which I'm, of course is not to say that you want to personally do those goopy things. No, I, I write a lot about what, they would smell like because i think that's an important aspect of it but i can i'm very uh sensitive to smell mm -hmm. so uh i i think i would just just walk away yeah. <laughs> if, I, if i encountered something like that that's not yeah. fun to think about in front of you <laughs> yeah i i i i worked for three years in waste management in college Ooh. which I loved a lot of, I disliked 
some of mildly, and some parts of it I just could not tolerate, like the compost. What, the what fresh was... compost was the worst thing. That's the worst smell, is the fresh compost? It's, like, I I really wish I had known that I was autistic <laughs> then, because I think that it would have at least given me comfort to know, like, oh yeah, there's actually a reason that you can't stand this specific thing. Have you ever smelled chicken manure? Unfortunately, it... yeah. Oh my god, I, like, I have a hard time getting that smell out of my brain after you've, you've driven by yeah. a place it's in, intense. Yeah, there's there's that there's a place on i5 in california if you're driving from the bay area down to los angeles that is uh you're basically driving by a like 20 acre slaughterhouse Ooh. uh and it is you you see the signs for koalinga and you think oh better make sure my windows are rolled up Yes. Better turn on the recirculate <laughs> now. And you still smell it. Mm -hmm. But it's also the smell. place where we almost always have to stop for gas, and it is the worst thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Apparently, an amazing steakhouse is there, but you couldn't pay me to do that. No, I, I will pass on that. Yeah. I love the way that your essay touches on this some. It's really interesting when hearing about the ways that people go from story consumer to story, or like to active intentional storyteller. Like everybody is a storyteller to some, you know, whether it's like, you know, making up a little live of why you didn't do the thing or, you know, like, you have to amuse a kid. Better tell him a story to get him to stop asking why or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. But, like, there, there's... When you step over into the level of intentionality, whether that is writing it down or just being, like, I'm going to be an oral storyteller, that's something that's so... There's like an alchemy there. Mm. Um and I'm I'm really interested in like what it was specifically that pushed you over that line. Um I think it was honestly just like how vivid the dream that I had was because usually my dreams are very scattered. Mm -hmm. And there's there's like, I can remember bits and pieces, but this was like, it was almost like a movie where it had, um, a, like, camera shots and, like, a setup. And then it transitioned to another uh, scene and then another one, which is why I have, why I started with little short stories. Because I was just like, this is a thing that happened, and then this, and then this, and then it expanded from there. Mm -hmm. So, it's, um, I think it was just my brain putting together a bunch of whatever I was consuming at the time and uh, alchemying it in, in yeah. a way, I guess, into a new thing. And it was so um, 
it it just felt like oh this should be this should be a thing that i should do <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and i actually had a dream like that a couple of days ago which i oh, haven't nice. had i haven't had since um, my inside out dream so maybe mm -hmm. i maybe i'm i'm on the verge of a new thing I don't know. oh hell yeah i hope so that'd be fun yeah yeah it's like mo mostly i think my dreams are like digesting old trauma a lot of the time but like it is it's really interesting to see how your brain like turns over i don't know it's kind of like uh the the metaphor that i'm going to just lean hard into is you know in the lion king when uh simba meets timon and pumbaa and they're like it's eating time and they turn over a rock and there's all the squirmies like slimy that, that's yet what satisfying. we do yep. slimy yet satisfying mm -hmm. i think that's great <laughs> and like that that is and especially for you know i think especially for us as trans people uh like there's always the rock of we have a body that isn't what it should be in our brain and like every time and that's a really heavy rock to turn over sometimes like like sisyphus <laughs> but every time we turn it over we find something new there uh and in you know i have a, an extremely biased sample but my impression is every single trans person basically turns that into writing or thinking about horror uh, yeah, I'll, I would say a very, very high percentage of us. Yeah. Just kind of like how, honestly, the, the Bound and Flesh anthology sort of happened was like, yeah, it's just a thing that trans people think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And something that, like, I don't know, were there any... Uh, you know, obviously Hellraiser is, is uh, formative work. Were there any uh, early examples of, like, children's body horror that you got exposed to? The very first body horror that I can consciously remember seeing was Dragon Ball, when Goku oh, turn, yeah. turns into the giant monkey. And I was, like, five, and I remember... Mm -hmm. Um, my parents were like, what are you watching? I was like, nothing. And I turned off the TV <laughs> like like it was something I wasn't supposed to see for some reason. And I don't mm -hmm. know why I did that. But I think that's the, the first thing I can think of. But there's so much body horror in children's media. Like, remember Animorphs? Animorphs yeah. is pretty messed up. Uh, yeah. So it it's like I was talking to somebody about this the other day that there's so many things that are body horror, but you don't think about that they are. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, like the Minotaur, a lot mm -hmm. of old myths are like, I turn this person into a tree or I turn them into an animal. You're you're changing 
uh, the body in some way that is not natural. Yeah. And that's body horror. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, it Artemis turning, uh, turning a dude into a deer and then having his buddies hunt him? Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. That's like, that's just like, hmm, peak. <laughs> peak, but I, I just glanced over and I have the um, uh, Dolores, Norse gods, and giants, uh, which is, I, I don't know if, if that was something you were ever exposed to. They have uh, the Dolores were like a... Uh, think a like French husband and wife duo who wrote two gorgeous books of uh, like uh, Greek myths for children and Norse got uh, Norse myths for children but do you then you, do you have it next to you yeah can I see, can I see? yes I'm trying to remember so like this guy and mm. with these gorgeous colored pencil illustrations all throughout i think maybe i had the greek one yeah but um um my family is uh was originally from iceland my great mm -hmm. so i've always been interested in norse mythology and definitely used a bit of it in inside out so yeah, but I was just thinking, like, they also have a book just about, uh, like, stories, myths about trolls from, uh, like, the Nordic countries, and uh, there there is so much transformation happening in there, <laughs> but I just remember, I was just thinking about, like, Oh yeah, what other body horror did I have when I was a kid? And there's the one story from Norse mythology where Loki gets caught telling a lie again about something, and they just sew his mouth shut. <laughs> and that and that's in the book for kids. And I'm like, yeah, no, there's a reason I turned out like this. Uh, man, you could write a whole. A whole, uh, there's probably a whole book about all of the shit that Loki got up to. But yeah. how about when he turned into a horse and had sex with another horse? Yep. He's got he's got children from both sides of the equation, creating yeah. them or birthing them, or you know. Honestly, good for Loki. Yeah. What a what an icon. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, incredible trans icon. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm going to say a thing. I, I'm going to pull a Lillian. I'm going to say a thing and see if it's true. <laughs> okay. Trans kids are much more likely to read that thing, whatever that body horror thing is, when they're like eight and imprint on it than cis kids will. I think so. Yeah. Like, because, like, I don't know the first time I read that or had that the Norse gods and giants read to me, 
I was probably six. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> and I just head. immediately plucked it out of my memory. Yeah. It's, and it's... like, you know, one of, one of my core memories was going to an archaeology museum and seeing a mummy and like fucking terrified me. Wrote about it in my journal the next day. I had a nightmare about a skeleton. About a skeleton? Do you remember the watching the mummy for the first time and seeing that guy with the bug oh under his skin? Oh my god. That was disgusting. <laughs> Just oh. imprinted. Yes. Absolutely. It's Trans people are so cool. We're so cool because we see that gross shit and we're like, yeah, that's about me, actually. <laughs> I am taking this thing. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember uh, there was a superhero cartoon about mummies called Mummies Alive? Yeah. Gosh, I haven't thought about that in forever. I used to have one of them as an action figure. I don't remember which one, but I really like that show. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird cartoon back in the day. The stuff that they put on TV. Like... Oh, another another cartoon that was very body horror. Street Sharks. Oh my god. Like, they're all, like, muscle dudes that get turned uh -huh. into giant sharks. Okay. Biker mice from Mars. I don't think they... I think they were always mice, but... Yeah. They are, they are animal people. I mean, Weird. that's... This is the same era that brought us Mars Attacks, which has just, like, some incredible effects in it. Oh, and, like, the monster design in that is impeccable. When it, uh, when they put the the lady's head on on a dog or something, <laughs> yeah, so strange, but yeah, but it, it just sticks in your brain forever. It does. Or oh shit, this again, deep deep cuts, thirty year cuts. Reading, I can't remember which Wizard of Oz book it was, but there's one Wizard of Oz book where there's a lady, some witch lady or something, who uh, collects heads and wants to take Dorothy's head and put it in her collection because she wears, it, like, she picks out heads like another person picks out outfits. I haven't read that book, but they put that in the... The I think it's called Return to Oz, the second Wizard of Oz movie. Oh, that, that's that, right. That everybody is like, that movie is so fucked up. They have that in that movie. And it is, yeah. like, weird and scary. The shit that happens in the Oz books, I... My dad read every single one of them to me. And there is... I mean, even the first... Even the original Wizard of Oz is, like, there's some fucked up body horror shit in there. Like, you think about how the Tin Man actually happened. You think about the Scarecrow, like... I melt to which at the end? 
Because when she's like, I'm melting. I don't remember how, but I remember that just, happening. Just pure water. <laughs> oh, okay. Clean water will melt her. All right. That which seems, is... Uh, that seems like a pretty big weakness to have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you get if you get into Wicked, she doesn't actually die because she's in cahoots with Glenda the Good Witch. Oh. And then uh if you read the book, I believe she's intersex. And Glenda's also her sister? Uh Glenda is her roommate and possibly also gay lover. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Good for them. Um I just I don't know if it if it came through the Zoom link or what, but there was just this weird sound and this blue police box showed up in the room, the podcast room. And I'm wondering <laughs> if we could take a step into this time machine and Go back, if you have any words of wisdom that you would like to offer to young Lore and, by extension, to any of our listeners. Oh, I would say embrace your weirdness, even if people give you shit about it. Because once, you, yeah. find, once you find those other weird people, you've got friends for life. Hell Yeah. And Hell I yeah. and young me needs to stop worrying so much about their weight and eat like a normal human being. <laughs> yeah. You deserve to eat. Yes. You get to eat food. Yeah. And go back on time and eat some more snacks. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's like it's 110% true about the like find the other weird people find the sickos who are like you like throughout throughout my life the people who have stayed in my life over time like you know you have you have friends who you made friends with them because of geographic proximity or whatever but it's like if they weren't sickos <laughs> in the way that you're a sicko like we always said in um our therapy things you have friends for a reason a season or a lifetime and i think that's very true hell yeah good good therapy <laughs> good shit that's yeah, amazing i there's like there's a couple of, of good lines from those that i always go back to and that's definitely one of them yeah. It's, like, I'm just thinking about the, you know, one, like, who are the friends I'm still, I still talk with, talk to from high school, and it's just the sickos. Mm -hmm. Just the, the weirdos and the freaks and the queers and the other trans people. Yes. Uh, and, like, all the people who are, like, have become good friends since then have all been just like i mean like taking it back to lillian again like lillian boyd absolute weirdo freak when did love you guys her immensely 
How long like, have you how long have you known her? I've gosh, I've known Lillian since I want to say 2017, 2018. Um and I met her through Sarah Gailey. Uh and like was kind of like, "Oh yeah, she's a cool person." <laughs> and then like we just sort of like started, you know, like Two objects or- orbiting each other just close enough that they just, like, suck each other in to the point where I was like, yeah, yeah, you're exactly the right kind of sicko. Like, <laughs> the, what is it? The sicko's J paper. He's like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think about that a lot. I, my, my Discord emotes have two separate sickos, yes. <laughs> for... Precisely like this the, reason. The French one. We. Yeah. Yeah. Have to have the French laugh to go with yeah. it. <laughs> I have uh, been having a lot of thoughts recently about about this. Actually, that like all of the friends that I've made since I began writing, I'm like, I can't imagine not having you in my life you know like i've only known mm-hmm. you for for a couple years and i but it feels like you have always been a part of my life and it's weird to think that they weren't at one yeah. point yeah yeah like i lillian or sarah or uh sarah hollowell who's not specifically a horror person but like her books always go dark like so many so many writer people who I'm like one I can't believe I haven't always known them and two it's very bizarre when I like I think about mentioning them in conversation a lot more than I actually do mention them in conversation (laughs) because it feels like this weird brag to be like oh yeah i'm friends with sarah gailey because like i'm friends with sarah gailey who had published one story about a baby that was hatching moths out of its eye sockets i would like to read this and (laughs) had had never like nobody knew who they were not like hugo award winning you know, author of Magic for Liars and River of Teeth and Just Like Home. Like, mm. you know, like, I I started following them because of this one weird short story that, you know, got published in, like, a one-cent-a-word or non-paying magazine. Uh, it is... The title of the story is Look, by the way. Uh... And listeners, I will have links in the show notes to this. Uh, I believe it is still online. Uh, I believe it is in Cease Cows magazine, if, I, if, if my autism is helping me out here. Yeah. Uh, certainly they had something early published in Cease Cows, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Look. That's uh, a great concept for that story. Yeah. And, like, just short and gross and i was just immediately like oh i want to be friends with this person (laughs) uh and then like 
you know, six, nine months later, however long, however much later, they were suddenly like, this person's never watched Star Wars, and now they're tweeting about it. <laughs> and then, you know, River of Teeth happened, and, and it went from there, but it's like, yeah, like, we were the sickos, yes, who, <laughs> I mean, we were the sickos, yes, Spider-Man pointing meme. Like, it was, it was just, it was just that, and it's so, uh, your, your words of wisdom are very good. You did good <laughs> words <you>. of wisdom. <laughs> um, so we've, we've talked around this book of yours a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can give a pitch to our listeners about it. Um, my book, Inside Out, is about the after effects of a thing that I just call the event. Where, pe where people start melting and animals start melting and sometimes they join into giant piles of people and yes, animals good. <laughs> uh, good, good. and uh because one of the side effects of this is that they turn inside out that is what the book is called so each chunk is separated into a different little story of a person going through this um in different stages of uh, the outbreak, I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. So I have one about a crappy landlord. And nice. I have one about a Karen who gets grumpy at the commuter train. <laughs> or uh, a trans girl who's getting bullied. Or a guy who just wants to get some weed in the woods and finds a very strange lady. <laughs> I mean, look, if if that hasn't if you haven't had a weird experience trying to get weed. The funny thing is that I don't I do not smoke or do anything, so I hope that my <laughs> my little stories that involve those don't come off as me being a total square. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, we've all been just marinated in some version of stoner culture <laughs> just by existing in the North, in North America in the 20th century and 21st century, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm from, like, the stoner province of Canada, so <laughs> it is, uh. A, a well-known thing that I am used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners, I I can't imagine if you are uh, a goopy weirdo like me that you aren't as excited, if not more excited, for this book than I am. Uh, and I'm hella excited for it. <laughs> uh Finally, semi-finally, uh, before we get going, has there been anything that you've been particularly enjoying as of late that you'd love for our listeners to know about? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> I warned you about it before we recorded. I know, and... I know. Uh, honestly, the only thing that I have been getting up to lately is playing probably 
far too much uh, Resident Evil 4 because I have nice. I have an addiction to the uh, <laughs> uh, the like the remake. Yes. Okay. Uh, I played the original when it came out back in the day, but I really like the way that the remake um, does things and the. I find that the I'm not a great like first person shooter over the shoulder shooter person mm-hmm. but for some reason those controls really clicked with me and and i'm a really fun <laughs> just replaying it over and over and over again um yeah. there's also um, speaking of things that i imprinted on <laughs> <laughs> um i also have been thinking about replaying control which i would recommend to oh, nice. body, body horror and horror fans and like we had liminal space fans that is a excellent game to check out hell yeah yeah shouts again to serena for uh being the person who i i was terrible at the gamecube version of resident (laughs) evil 4 but i watched her play that entire game in like little chunks during free periods between classes in high school, we'd just go over to her apartment and she'd play Resident Evil 4. I would watch her play Resident Evil 4. Impeccable way to spend senior year. Yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I, I have not checked out Control. I am honestly not sure if I have a system that will play it, but it is... Definitely one of those things that I will at least check out some actual plays of. Yeah, it is a fascinating game, and they incorporate a lot of um, like SCP level of mm, mm-hmm. stuff into it that I find just like fascinating, and the amount of world building in it is incredible. Fantastic. And also, you can fly around and throw shit. So perfect. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I've just been... I think I have, uh, as of this recording, probably about 70 hours in on Tears of the Kingdom. uh, Those are are rookie numbers. You need to catch up to me. I'm like 180, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But also, speaking of, of goopy horror, like... Some impeccable jump scares in that game. Yeah, there's some. There's some. Like even just the the main line, uh, how they set up the story is body horror. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's from a great the game. beginning. I was yes. like, I I wasn't actually expecting Nintendo to show what happens with Link's arm, like, Mm -hmm. the full thing, but part of my brain was like, are we gonna see this right now? Are are we gonna... Is is that what's gonna happen? I mean, I don't know how they end the game because I haven't beaten it yet, but I'm assuming he gets back his regular arm, so how does that work? I wonder if he, like, Dragon Ball Z Piccolo just, like, shoot a, a new arm from his shoulder or... If he if he's just like no you can keep you can keep it yeah I mean like it seems like we have three options you know we have he keeps it he piccolos it 
or we get some terrible Akira level, like, mm, just lean yeah. into the body horror, which I don't think is actually ever going to happen in Legend of Zelda to Link. No. But, I mean, we, we've had, like, we've had enough bosses that have had different stages that we've gotten pretty goopy up in there. Every almost every Zelda game has a boss that's just a whole bunch of eyeballs. So, it yeah, is, it is a thing with them. And we bring it full circle back to the eyeball <laughs> violence. Yes. <laughs> oh well, Laura, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Before we get going, where can our listeners find you elsewhere? Um. I am on Twitter at Lorelei, L-O-R-E-L-L-I underscore. Um, I have an Instagram, which I think is just Lorgislison. And I have a blog, which is Lorgislison.wordpress. And you can Google me and find uh, my book Inside Out or the anthology I did called Bound of Flesh with uh, Ghoulish Books. Fantastic. Uh would highly recommend Bound in Flesh to anybody goopy listening to this. Uh, just in addition to lore, a number of other incredible, incredible authors. Uh, I believe Joe Coke is in there. Mm -hmm. We got we got so many good trans people in that book. I mean, you know who else is in there? Who else Lillian. is in there? Lillian. <laughs> Oh, yeah! <laughs> Shit, that's right. Lillian is in there. Yep, that's how that's how I have gone to know her. Just from I her gotta, submission. I gotta get her back on the podcast. <laughs> get the gang back together. Yes. Oh, well, Lord, thank you so much for keeping it goopy, keeping it spooky, uh... Making this absolutely a screamtastic July. It's it's been a delight. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings <laughs> by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter, at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.